the first day of spring. We have the call to worship. We have the call to worship. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise with him with psalm. Bow hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing Psalm 124, 124. So God, we come before you this evening and we are thankful, Lord, for watching over us and giving us songs and psalms in our hearts that we can sing and praise before you, Lord Almighty. 
we ask God for your special presence this evening and that we would focus upon you and cast aside all cares and considerations around us, Lord, and to follow you anew. In your name alone we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 157.
Psalm 39. Yeah, it's two pages again, right? Yeah. Yeah, one through four is the first page, so you stick with one page and go to the other. We'll just do one through four. evening, God, glorious Father above, you who care for us and watch over us, we come thankful in our hearts, with our lips, for the many wonderful things that you have bestowed and continue to bestow upon us, God Almighty, for our family, for our friends, for the church that we are a part of, God, for the employments and the monies that we have to take care of our life and our body, for the food and the shelter that come from your providence, Lord. These things and many more and all that you have given us, Lord, all the pleasures and all the prosperity and all the comforts that we 
enjoy God are from your hand alone. And for that, God, may we continue to be humbled. May we continue to rejoice. May we continue, God, to use such things for your glory, for the good of those near us, for the comfort of those in need. We pray, God, in particular for Christian education in our life, that at home and at church, and all that we do, God, to the extent that we need to learn things, to take care of things that you've given us, God, may we learn such things. May we learn them in the light of your love and providence for us, Lord, to know that these things that we need to learn to take care of our life, to take care of our home, to take care of one another, to do our job well as unto you, God, has a purpose, and that is for those such things, Lord, so that we can be useful in your kingdom. We pray in particular for our children and the young adults who are going to school, that they would learn what they can in a world that's quickly changing and new things are coming along and even new discoveries at times, God, that they would be properly equipped and prepared to deal with these things and to uh, make decisions, even if that decision is, I do not know enough, I've been trained enough to know where my limits are. And so I can say very little about these things, but must leave them in the Lord's hands. Whatever the case may be, God, help our children and young adults, especially to learn your word and to grow thereby, and to love the saints and to follow you all the days of their life. May all of us, Lord, indeed, take the calling of education for our job, and especially for the word of God, a serious thing in our lives. We lift up our sister churches before you in our presbytery, God, that you would be with them and watch over them, help them grow and to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, be with their pastors and leadership, God, that they would uh, do what they are called and equipped to do, to take care of the sheep, to protect them and watch over them, God. And we ask and pray in particular, Lord, that you would help them grow both spiritually and numerically. And we ask, God, that they would grow in love for one another and towards one another and to witness to their communities. We pray not only for our presbytery, but our sister presbyteries, and for their growth as well, Lord, to watch over them, to give them what they need to do their duty before you, and to do it well as unto the Lord. And we pray for our denomination, God, as well, to continue to be faithful to you, and to be more mature, and to be purified by your word and your providence. We pray also for our sister churches and denominations and NAPARC organization, Lord, that you would be with them, especially with the Presbyterian Church of America, God that she would hold the ground and purify her ministry and do the right thing, Lord, regardless of the pressure that feels and how the world may watch them, Lord. May they care what you think more than what the world thinks. And Indeed, may all of us follow that pattern in our lives, God. Be with other churches of like faith and practice, Lord, that although not part of Napark, God, we wish them well and we think of the best of them to the best that we know of about them and their inner workings as a denomination and their practices, God, that they have been prayed faithful to you as well, that they have been purified and continue to uh, be your people. Indeed, we pray for all churches, Lord, that name the name of Christ Jesus. Uh, be with them, we pray. May they become more pure and more beholden to the word of God and applying it in their lives, God Almighty, and that you would protect them from the wicked world around them as well. May their families and members therein uh, be protected from the evil one and preserved, Lord, until the return of Christ Jesus, we pray. And our Lord and Savior, we pray in particular, God, for the peace and safety of our churches, of our lives, of our nation, of the churches across this world, Lord, that you'd be with them and protect them and watch over them. We ask, Lord, in your glorious name's sake, amen. We now have the tithes and offerings.
us rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy With these tithes and offerings, Lord Almighty, we pray for their multiplication and that we can give more in the future, Lord, to the extent that you've continued to bless us. We pray to that end and that you would give us wisdom, Lord, and understanding the best how to use the money for the good of your people here at Providence. In your name alone we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are in Proverbs. Uh, I'm not going to (laughs) go chapter by chapter. It's not designed that way as such, although there are some sections in there. We'll talk a little bit about that next time. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, one of the pivotal verses of the Proverbs and of the Christian life, in fact. Proverbs 1, verse 7, after he gives an introduction to what he will talk about in the Proverbs, of the nature of a proverb, to know wisdom and instruction, and, and, and to give perception of the words of understanding and instruction of wisdom to the simple, to indeed all of us, we have verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, you who are a father, you who are a teacher and great instructor of the truth through the Holy Spirit. May we be encouraged by this sermon and these words, Lord, to continue to do what the world mocks at, which is to fear you more than we fear men, and to follow you, God, no matter what, that we may grow in knowledge and no longer be fools, but those who are wise by your word and spirit. Amen. We hear much of loving God been a theme in the American Christian circles, no matter how conservative or liberal they are. It's something I've run across, I still continue to run across, that we have a loving God, and that is certainly true. It's something that, to one extent or another, we need to be reminded of if we have forgotten. We are also reminded to love Him, and in fact, we are even reprimanded for not loving Him enough in much of the literature, it seems. We are warned that God is a God of love and not fear, so We should not preach anything about fear. In fact, it seems many Christians are taught that God is all about love and that fear has no place in the Christian life. Some of this emphasis, as I said, is true, except for that latter sentence, and even needful, depending on the persons and the issues at hand. However, I think in this day and age, more and more Christians need a good dose of godly fear. Fear of punishment even, fear of displeasing God in particular, a reverential fear, as we read in this text and other parts of the Bible. So I hope the sermon will remind us again of the importance of fearing God and that you are on the right path, having that proper fear, also in the context of faith and love and its intimate con- connection to Christian growth. The foundation of knowledge is what we read here in the Proverbs. I'll remind you again, a proverb is a pithy saying. It says a lot of things without a lot of caveats or exceptions or details and explanations. And so this is not saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and only the fear of the Lord, as though faith is not required, as though love is not part of the Christian life. Of course it is. 
It's assumed here. Proverbs written by Solomon is a man who had the Old Testament, who has the book of Deuteronomy, which talks a lot about God's love. Even though God's law is there. Because he wants to motivate him, that is the Spirit of God wishes to motivate the Old Testament church and us as well to love him. But also fear must be there, a proper fear. And we're going to talk about what that is and what it is not. The foundation of knowledge here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is not the desire for knowledge. It is not the love nor even faith, but fear. He is highlighting here. But of course, those things are not excluded. Rather, that the fear of God is important in the Christian life. It is needful in the Christian walk. Part of what it means to follow the Lord God Almighty and even Jesus Christ himself. The fear of the Lord is twofold. It is based upon the nature of God as the creator and the nature of God as one who is holy. The nature of God as a creator, that is the being or the essence of who he is, the nature of God as holy, which of course is part of who he is, but the moral purity in particular, the morality of our Lord and Savior. The first kind with respect to God as our creator, the first kind of fear is that he is wholly other and beyond us, beyond our full comprehension. Like an ant trying to comprehend what the humans are up to. He just cannot fully fathom it, other than better watch out where he steps. Like facing an infinite ocean with nowhere to go. You feel the weight of the darkness in your insignificance, like falling through space towards an infinite supernova. You shield your eyes from the blinding light, but keep falling in forever and ever. And the natural, appropriate fear to such an experience is proper. The natural reaction should be fear. It is the nature of affinity, of eternity, of a supernova, of the universe, that you fall through it, you will be fear, fearful. You will be scared. That's the first kind of fear, that God is God, and we are but mortal. He has created and upholds all things, even right now. He is greater than the greatness of this universe combined. Infinity cannot circumscribe him. We cannot wrap our minds around who he is. The depth of our Lord and his knowledge and his power and his might is a fearful thing to behold indeed. The very nature of who God is. The second kind of fear, that he is a holy God, perfect and righteous. And of course, on the flip side, we are not. Which is to say, there was, I would argue, a natural fear in Adam and Eve, before the fall. That had nothing to do with sin, but everything to do with the mere fact that God is God and they are not. Not a servile fear, but a natural fear, for lack of a better adjective. I think that's probably an appropriate adjective. That was there. Very much like a child who fears his parents. And we all know it's the liberal parents that tell their kids, no, you should never fear me. And we know what that means. Kids get spoiled. But we understand, as I know most of us, had, sure, probably all of us, have that kind of fear towards our parents. Because they are our elder, they are bigger, stronger, and smarter. And we are so much insignificant as a child, we fear 
and fear, as we feel towards them and fear them, in that kind of fear. Same word there in the Old and New Testament. Here, the second kind of fear, or the moral fear, I guess, for lack of another word, so you have natural fear, or the fear of God as who he is and nature outside of the question of sin. Here, the question of sin is no longer a question, it is real. We are sinners and we are before a holy God. So that fear will be there because we are defiled and unholy and unrighteous. As we read, of course, in Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and he quakes in his boots. Combined together, these two fears that Christians ought to have is a reverential awe of the power and the holiness and majesty of God. The reverential awe of the holiness, power, and majesty of God, of who he is, both before sin and after sin. When the child sees the intelligence, wisdom, and insight of their parents, they're like, wow, you guys know so much. Of course, the parents are like, not really, but compared to you, I do. And it's certainly true. I remember to this day, and I told my daughter this, so I can't pull this trick on her anymore. But we were driving downtown Denver. I think it was uh, over by the 16th Street Mall. All those lights down the one-way streets, right? My, my father would sit there like this and snap his finger and the light would change. Snap his finger and the light would change. Well, he was, you know, looking over there. I suppose back then you could pull that off. Today, they, if you notice, the light schedules are different in a lot of different places now. But back then, he was able to pull it off down that street there. And I'm just like, Dad, how do you do that? Dad, how'd you do that? That's amazing. That's awe-inspiring. That's, um, that's wonderful. Well, God is greater than that and much more marvelous than that, brothers and sisters. And we stand in awe of his genius. And it's infinitely greater. Acts 9.31, And the churches throughout all the Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And we love that passage again. Hey, we want to be churches of the book of Acts. And this is what we want. We want to be churches throughout all of the regions of America that have peace and are edified, built up by the preaching of God and his word. But how else are they having peace and are edified? Well, we read, and walking, that's good, we all believe in walking, that is, living the Christian life, it's a metaphor, in the fear of the Lord. The Acts Church was at peace and was edified while walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and God multiplied them. The Church of God must have fear, reverential fear of our Lord and Savior of our Father and of the Holy Spirit. Take him seriously, to honor him such that the first table of the law is the very heart of our being. He is first and foremost. We here in the Proverbs are supposed to learn such things, right? The opening verses, verses 1 through 6, the Proverbs are given here to the, so that we may know, to know, to perceive, that we may give prudence or be receiving prudence. It's, we are supposed to be receiving the giving of the prudence through the Proverbs, through the instruction, through the teaching. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It implies instruction must be there, instruction in the fear of God. Uh, Psalm thirty-four, eleven: Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Depart from evil and do good. So there you see the fear of God is tied to the holiness of God. Depart from evil and to pursue and do the good 
is an act of the fear of the Lord. And that act is part of the instruction we ought to give one another and our children and ourselves. To teach each other the word of God, and the Proverbs in particular, begins and must include the fear of God. That is, to depart from evil and to do good. Proverbs 34, 11. If you want a nice little text there. Uh, that and, and following, it's a little later, past 11, you see, depart from evil and do good. To remind people that fear is part and parcel of the Christian life. Fear, of course, of judgment. Acts 5 is a classic passage, as you all know, where Ananias, <laughs> Sapphira, and dead people falling down because they lied. And it says in there, in Acts 5, that God, that church feared the Lord because of it. Now, the fear I speak of here, the fear of God being holy and us even as Christians who are sinners. Not the fear of losing your soul, but the fear of sinning and being punished as a child. He's not fearful of being kicked out of the house as much as he's just fearful of the frown of his father or mother. The fear of God in living in this fear in the Old Testament is a semi-technical term for living in faith and obedience. And I read some of that already in the psalm there where it says it is to flee evil, and to do good. The midwives of Egypt were commended for fearing God and doing the right thing and preserving life. Deuteronomy 31.12, we read, Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord, your God, and carefully observe all the words of this law. Again, it is... Not fear excluding faith, but fear alongside of faith. A faith that says, I want to learn from the Lord. I want to listen to his word. I want to be with God's people. This is why I'm here. You can have both. And the Bible tells us to have both. And we do have both as believers. If we want this knowledge, if we want maturity and growth as Christians, we must have the fear of the Lord proper fear of the Lord. Now, what we read here is the fear of the Lord. We talked about what that is. Uh, It is not. Is the beginning of knowledge. That word beginning has the idea of primary or root or fountainhead. As the fruit of a tree needs the roots, as the higher mathematics needs the axioms, and the fountainhead needs, the river needs the fountainhead, to have life and flowing down the mountain. And so the primary, the root, and the fountainhead of knowledge is the fear of our Lord and Savior. It is a foundation and therefore a necessary condition for the Christian life. Part of it is what we are called to do with entering into the kingdom of God from the beginning. Acts 5.13, Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly, and the believers were increasing, increasingly added to the church, Uh, multitudes of both men and women, uh, after God had brought punishment upon the liars in the church in Acts 5. We need that in God's kingdom. It is part of what we need. And to grow morally, it is the root and fountainhead and the primary part of knowledge. To trust in God, of course, to believe in him, yes, but to also fear him enough that you want to hear him, as we read there in Deuteronomy 31, 12, gather together, and to learn from him his law and his word for us.
Now, he speaks of this beginning of knowledge. The word knowledge there is not to be reduced to simple understanding of things, but also can be uh, the idea of facts, of wisdom, and everything else. These three words, facts and understanding of wisdom, or knowledge and understanding uh, and wisdom, used in the Proverbs, sometimes it's used semi-technically, other times it's just used to say the same thing as a synonym. It's just overlapping ideas here of uh, understanding, of wisdom, of knowledge, and how we, w- we want to have these things. To have knowledge, he's not obviously excluding wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is also the beginning of wisdom. It's also the beginning of understanding. Here, knowledge is not to be taken in the strict sense, but in a broader, well, poetic sense, because Proverbs is a form of poetry in Hebrew, in which he's just saying everything, especially morally, because the book of Proverbs is about morality, isn't it? You don't have Proverbs here about math. You won't learn about uh, the basic axioms of math here in Proverbs. What you learn are the basic axioms of morality, of right and wrong. And so knowledge here is specifically moral knowledge and includes wisdom and includes understanding of that knowledge. We see that in Psalm 111.10, for example, where uh, the word knowledge is clearly parallel with the word wisdom, and you'll see that also elsewhere in the Proverbs. Knowledge, of course, of God's law in particular. Psalm 128.1 Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. To fear God is to walk in his ways. And his ways, of course, are his law or his commandments. If you fear God, you will keep his commandments. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. Both are true. Do not keep his commandments. Um, that is, if you make, a, you make a habit of it, it's your life. You care nothing for God and his ways. Then there is a problem. And the knowledge, of course, is not just about God's law. It includes everything about God's word, the history of the Old Testament saints, of the New Testament, the book of Acts, salvation, especially in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. That kind of knowledge in particular. So, when he says here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Here is a book, the Bible. Here is another book, the book of church order. I have other books, math books and history books. And they are books on facts, the things in life. What should I do with the book? Should I throw it at you? Should I take this and read it? Should I ignore it? Does it have wrong content? Do I care about wrong content? These questions about this book, this other book, any book that you have are questions of morality and are related to this text when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The knowledge and the wisdom of knowing what to do in life and knowing what to do with a book Do I spend time with my book? Do I ignore my book? Do I spend time with my family? Do I ignore my family? What do I do? What's the purpose in life? What is right? What is wrong? All these things can be answered if we would but follow God and fear his word. The knowledge that we have, in particular, this moral knowledge that's especially focused here in Proverbs, we see is not a morally neutral knowledge. Because it is the fear of the Lord. L-O-R-D, all caps, the covenant-keeping God, by which is the fountainhead of moral instruction, of living in God's kingdom. And as we know in the fourth commandment, in the Lord's day, that we 
take the day of rest, and what does it say there? It says that even the stranger who is within your gates, that is the stranger who is within the domain of influence and power that is yours, because he's a stranger, he's in your house, he follows what? Your rules. And your rules are, on the Lord's day, there is no work. But I'm not part of your family. You're under my roof. There is no work. There is no moral neutrality with respect to God's law. The unbeliever has to follow it as well. And although we cannot make them in the sense of, you know, converting them, well, that's true, but that's not going to change any of us from wanting laws against murder now, is it? <laughs> you can't change the guy's murderous heart, but you can stop his actions. That's good enough for me and my family, thank you very much. So that's one but practical application of the fact that all moral knowledge and moral activities must fundamentally be based upon the fear of the Lord. Faith of God, to be sure, but here the text is emphasizing the fear of the Lord. Because God has made and given us his law, the moral universe that all of us live in. It's not as though the unbeliever has a different moral law, and we have another moral law. The only difference is they've not submitted to God. The destruction of knowledge, uh, the second part, so you have two parts to lots of the um, Proverbs here. I mentioned again, depending on your translation, they will set it off in a helpful way to show you what sets of verses go together. So on the one hand, positively, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but, so here you have a contrast, a contrasting parallelism. Talked about synonymous parallels. You have a lot of those that are just saying the same thing differently. Here is a contrasting parallel. So parallel in the sense of, here's the good, here's the bad. And they're contrasting here. So they have the same idea of lines, but one line's in the line, the path of evil, and the other path is a path of righteousness and goodness. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See? Once you understand the parallelism, you'll see when it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and here we have, yet fools despise knowledge. You would say in English, you expect an English prose, and even poetry, well, the fool despises knowledge. He just said knowledge in the first sentence. Why don't you say knowledge in the second sentence? Because it's poetry. It's written in poetic form. It's saying the same thing with different words. Wisdom and knowledge and instruction are all overlapping ideas, is the point here. So, when a fool despises wisdom, he's obviously despising knowledge as well. Despising instruction, he's, he's despising knowledge. That's what a fool does. A fool here is he who is morally perverse, or insolent. Many atheists are like this. I've argued with a few uh, professors, as you recall, uh, when I was down at the campus, when they had um, little um, conferences, so it wasn't in their lecture hall, but it was a public conference, and I joined, they took Q&As, and they regretted taking a Q&A. And of course, they end up giving a twisted version of Christianity. They were attacking a straw man. These are supposed PhDs in Various fields, including physics, and they don't even know the basics of Christianity. Because they didn't want to know the basics of Christianity. They were there just to shove it in the face of Christians. In Hebrew, you have three types of fools. There are three different words for fool in Hebrew, in the Hebraic language. And it shows up here in Proverbs in particular. You have one who's the shameless fool. You have another, another that's a stubborn fool, and then the last one is the stupid fool, or more like I said before, child, children, who are just, they, don't, they literally don't know things, and so they're stupid in that sense, not the fact that they are, are mentally handicapped, it's not a, der, uh, a derogatory term, but just simply, look, children are foolish. They are, that's why they have to grow up, that's why they're still children. 
Of the fool that will not listen to his parents or any counsel because he knows it already is the first two kinds, the shameless fool or the stubborn fool. Insolent. They know better and have always known better. And they despise wisdom. They despise instruction. They despise good moral knowledge and instruction of the word of God. They hold it as insignificant, contemptible, of little to no worth. Whereas they ought to esteem it as the foundation of moral living. As I said before, wisdom, instruction, and discipline are all parallel here. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom and instruction as well, clearly. Fools despise wisdom and instruction and knowledge as well. And of course it's not absolute because unbelievers, even fools, still receive some wisdom and some instruction. They still get along just fine at work. They're not fired yet. They haven't stolen from their boss because they know they can't get away with it, even though they may want to steal. So they have some wisdom. They have some instruction. But when it comes to the basics of life of what it means to be saved and living in God's kingdom, they're not in God's kingdom and they're on their way to hell. That's the context here of Proverbs. It's spoken and given in absolutist language. You either have God or you don't. If you don't have God, no matter how much wisdom you have, it's not enough. It may be enough temporarily, but not enough compared to eternity, unless you repent. They are groping in the dark, as we say, a broken clock is right, how often? Twice a day. <laughs> the consequences of being a fool who despises wisdom and instruction is not explicit here. It's unpacked in the rest of the book of Proverbs. This is almost like a thesis statement for uh, a large portion of the book of Proverbs, where often you read of this contrast between the godly and the righteous and the fool and the, and the wicked, and how they bring destruction upon themselves. A fool despises wisdom. But what do we do with it? What do the wise do with it? We should delight in it on the flip side, right? That which is commanded implies that which is forbidden. And that which is forbidden implies that which is commanded in the moral law of God. And if this is forbidden, by contrast, right, the fool despises wisdom, what should the wise do? What can we learn from the opposite here? We should embrace wisdom. We should love wisdom. The opposite of despising. We should hold it as precious, as more precious than silver and gold, as we read in other Proverbs. And unfortunately, many Americans do want nothing of the kind. They don't want to grow thereby. They don't want to love. They want to despise wisdom and make excuses for not wanting godly instruction and knowledge and morality and as you read in Romans 1, the end of chapter 1, or they make excuses for one another, for their wretched sins, and even, as we know, make laws to justify their sins and assuage their consciences because so many are so foolish and hardened in their hearts, unfortunately. And God is judging them. If the fountainhead and the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God and fools despise it, you can imagine the consequences therein. You have no foundation. You fall into moral chaos. And that's where America is falling in right now. Every man doing what is right in his own eyes. Voting to that end. Teaching to that end. Acting to that end. 
May we, brothers and sisters, embrace this and embrace it anew as I believe we do embrace it, but sometimes we're tempted against it and we have to fight against the world who draws us away from knowledge of God and the wisdom of his word and of his law and his gospel especially. Let us, brothers and sisters, have this godly fear of the Lord, which is the fountainhead of knowledge. Let us fear God with a heart filled with love. Let us pray. This evening, Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this proverb, a short pithy saying that we can tie into our hearts again, that we may continue, Lord, to follow you all the days of our life with love, with faith, and godly fear. I do not wish to disappoint you, God. We all, Lord, wish to continue on to learn knowledge, to gain wisdom, to love godly instruction. Help us, Lord, day by day to do this. By your Spirit alone we pray. Amen. Let us sing. Him 232, 232. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Mm-hmm.